with you all this morning on this beautiful, beautiful day. As we begin this morning, I just want to remind you of a couple things. We are here today because we matter to God. And we can belong to God and each other in this faith community. And when we participate in this faith community that God established, we learn what it means to experience life and life to the full in Jesus. We're here today to participate in one of the elements that's critical to being the church, and that is corporate worship. In corporate worship, we pray, we sing, we hear God's reported word to us, and the goal of this time is to come and drink deeply of the living water that is Jesus, knowing that as we drink, we find life, and we quench the deepest thirst. Let's pray together. Father, use this time, use it to change us and shape us and to mold us and make us into what you desire us to be. Just lead and guide and direct. Speak to us this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll sing with us this morning. Our worship lyrics are on the website, firstfire-trinity.com with our Sunday service lyrics. You can follow along and sing with us this morning.
Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Got a question for you this morning as we begin. Uh, you can honk your horn if you're uh, one of these people, or maybe even better yet, if the person sitting in the car with you is one of these people, we'll never know the difference. But are any of you all that are here today notorious for losing things? Got a hand raised? I just saw Sam blow the horn to John. Um, uh, yeah, we like we lose things all the time. Some of us are uh, better at losing things than others, right. um, but we all lose something at some time, and we can feel and remember that panic that we have when we've misplaced something and we need it now, but we can't put our hands on it. We can all remember that. I would say some of us here also have um, sometimes get lost where our directional orientation is not the greatest and sometimes we end up being physically yep okay um physically um we we find ourselves lost and not knowing how to get back to where we should be but today i want to talk a little bit about what it means to be lost in a spiritual sense and i know that i know that i know we've all been there before and we found ourselves far from God and, and in need of being reconnected. This is what it means to be human. And the good news is this today. God does not leave us lost. He does not leave us lost. For the next three weeks leading up to, uh, to Easter, um, we're going to be just in one chapter of Scripture, um, Luke chapter 15. And in Luke 15, there are three parables that they're told back to back that all have very similar themes. The first um, is the one we're going to talk about today, which is lost the lost sheep. The second is the lost coin. And finally, the last one is the lost son, or sometimes we know that parable as the prodigal son. And in those weeks, we're going to focus uh, this week first on um, God's love for the lost. Next week, we're going to focus on God's determination to find and to celebrate that which is lost. And the last week, we're going to really, on Easter, we're going to focus on what it means to, um, to see um, us look at God's um, seeking of the lost and how we are to react and how we are to respond to uh, God's work in this world. There's going to be three key words you're going to see happen over and over in each of these parables. These four words are lost, found, rejoice, and celebrate. So with that, let's let's look at the uh, the first uh, the, the, the first of these parables. And first we get a little bit of a setup of why Jesus is telling these, and we'll return to that in just a second. Chapter 15 of Luke starts with this. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and he places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate! 
with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. So today, let's focus on God's love for the lost or God's love for sinners. First and foremost, the context of this parable is Jesus is hanging out with those that were broken and they had no preconceived notions that they were okay. And Jesus shared a table with them. The, the, the context that Jesus had been eating with them, but they had showed up this day, the sinners and the tax collectors, to listen to Jesus is what the text says. But the Pharisees and the legal experts, or if you just want to group that into the religious uh, folks, the people that had their religion down, were grumbling about Jesus associating with sinners. You see, sharing a table during this day and time meant accepting someone, the person eating with you, as a friend, or better said, probably as family. Someone that if you shared a table with them, you were going to be friends with them for the rest of your life. It was seeing someone as an equal the Pharisees and the legal experts and the religious leaders, they would not share tables with unclean folks like tax collectors and sinners. And when they saw Jesus doing it, this caused them to grumble. Jesus was trying to tell them in these parables, I love the lost, the sinners, and you should also and, and Jesus was saying, if you don't get that about me, then you're not going to get me. Now, before we throw stones at the Pharisees and the legal experts, I want us to step back a moment. And I want you to think for, for a second on how quickly sometimes you judge other people and you put them in the, the, the bad column, and you keep yourself in the good column. We do this all the time without thinking. On a Thursday morning, um, and since I was writing this on Thursday afternoon, finishing up, um, I just, the story was fresh in my brain, but I was taking Landon to school on Thursday. So I head up the interstate here, and get off of the 94 exit, and turn left there, um, across the interstate bridge, um, and so as I was turning, and again, for those of you that are good drivers, you'll know this. Those that are bad drivers, you won't know this. See how easy I put you in categories? But there's two turning lanes there that go left. The theory here is that if you are in the leftmost lane, when you turn, you stay in that lane, which is the leftmost lane. If you're in the right turning lane going left, you stay on the outside. Well, this has happened to you all before, I'm sure, but a person... Uh, was on the inside lane and they wanted to get to the outside lane and they made that transition between the lanes in the turn. So they sped up really fast and then jumped in front of me. Um, in a flash of an eye, I completely judged that person. I go, bad driver, doesn't follow the rules. Um, don't they know it was raining on Thursday? Um, and like, it's gonna be a little slick, like all this stuff. This person is a horrible driver. And if they were a good driver like I am, 
then they, that would have never happened. And we make those judgments all the time, all the way from things that have to do with driving to, um, to how somebody um, uh, acts in the grocery store to, um, to really serious things of like that person doesn't have their life together and they're a bit um, sideways. And if they could have their life together like I have my life together, we do this judgment thing all the time. So I want to cut the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders a bit of slack this morning because this is what they grew up with. And they were trying to keep the law and make sure things were right. And good people didn't eat with bad people was the way they saw the world. But in this moment, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God whom they're trying to serve and keep the rules for Him, is blowing their world up and saying that's not how it works. So He tells them this parable about a shepherd who lost one sheep and leaves the 99 and goes after that one sheep. It's worth noting here that shepherds would have no way have been seen as good people during this time. They would have also been in the bad column with sinners and tax collectors. The work they did with the sheep made them unclean. So for the religious leaders to hear this story and the, the one who represents God the Father in the story, being an unclean person would have rubbed them the wrong way to say the least. Because in essence, it was the outcast, the shepherd, who was the one in the story that was displaying the way in which God loves. It would be like you telling me on Thursday at about 8 o'clock, showing up and telling me a parable, and the hero of that parable was a horrible driver, right? It would have, I would be like, there's no way someone that doesn't follow the rules and is one of those people could have shown goodness. And don't use that person to represent God. This was a normal flock size for this day and time, 100 sheep. Um, so there was nothing extravagant to these people's ears about hearing this parable. Sheep were much more prevalent during this day and time. And they would have understood how shepherding worked, at least from a distance. They would have related to this. They could imagine sheep in a pasture and a sheep that is lost. And so Jesus uses this to teach them about God's love for sinners. God is pictured as a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. One commentator writes that it was typical, make sure you hear this, that Jewish teachers stressed God's forgiveness for those that repent. But rarely did they stress God seeking sinners out. This was a new term. Jewish religious leaders were very cool with somebody who says, I want to turn my life around and I'm going to repent. They were okay with God doing that, but rarely were there any stories about God going out and seeking those that were lost and trying to find them. But here Jesus does exactly that. It's also worth noting because a lot of times when we read the story, we sometimes will ask the question, does Jesus not care? And does God not care about the 99 that are still in the pasture? 
No, in no way does he not care for or love them. Sheep by their own nature have a way of wandering away. Sometimes the sheep will put its head down and all that it's looking at is getting from one patch of grass to the next. And before they know it, at least this is how it works on our farm, they're in another field, they found a way to squeeze between something or under something to get to greener grass. And while all the other sheep are all together in a big clump up in one field, it is very often there'll be one that has wandered away just simply out of the need to, to find food. Listen to the language when, when the shepherd finds the sheep. It says, when he finds it, he is thrilled and he places it on his shoulder. One person wrote this. The compassion of God is suggested as the shepherd puts the sheep on his shoulders and goes home. The shepherd does not use his staff to drive the sheep back to the fold. He does not lecture the sheep on where it went wrong. He picks the sheep up onto his shoulders and carries it home. What a beautiful picture of Jesus, the good shepherd. He comes to where we are, lifts us up out of our dangerous plight. We don't know the way home, but that is not a problem because God does. We have been injured in our fall and wounded in our wondering, but that is not a problem because he carries us. It is good to know that when God finds us and we are lost, and someone pointed out during the in-person service that this finding of God is not a one-time thing. Sometimes we read the parables and we believe that, that there's only the, the, this parable only encompasses the, the first finding, right? The first time that I was wondering and God found me and brought me into his fold. The person in first service was remarking about how the reality is that God finds us over and over again. And no matter if we start to wonder, he finds us and he carries us back home. He doesn't drive us back home. He doesn't lecture us back home, but he carries us back home. This is God's heart. This is who he is. And this is his heart towards the loss. Another voice on this passage says this, Grace always pursues the object of its love. Grace always pursues the object of its love. God will not stand by and allow us to wander away from him. Without, without making every effort to stop us. We can resist his voice. We can try to hide from his overture. But he initiates the search. And will never give it up. Without his search, we could not be saved. Unlike the sheep, we are not saved unless we want to be found. We may speak of finding Christ or, in, or of inviting Christ into our lives. But we are the lost. And in actual fact, he finds us and invites us to go home with him. He initiates the search before we even realize that we are lost. This in, in Methodist circles is called provenient grace. The grace that goes before. Grace that is at work in our lives before we are aware of it. That makes it possible for us to move towards saving grace. Grace always pursues 
the object of its love. God is in the business of pursuing the lost and the broken and the sinner. God is in the business of pursuing those that have wandered away from where they should be and desires to bring them back to exactly where they need to be. This is because this is who God is. So what do we do with this passage this morning? First, we realize this, that God has pursued sinners. He has found us when we were lost and brought us back home because grace always pursues the object of its love. You have been pursued, you have been found, you have been carried home, and there was rejoicing over you. We cannot forget that this is our story. And our redemption did not begin with us, but it began with God seeking us out. Second, we're called to be people that carries God's grace and story to others. One commentator sums up the story this way. It says, the moral of the story is this. As the shepherd's friends rejoice when he finds that which was lost, so do God's friends rejoice when he recovers that, that what was lost to him. Thus, Jesus' accusers, that being the Pharisees and the legal experts, who resent his fellowship with sinners he seeks to restore, may not really be God's friends. You see, if, if we as people do not rejoice when others that are lost are found, but instead we're locked down in our judgment, then we've lost sight of the grace that has saved us. We've lost sight that God found us when we were lost. This practice is called being self-righteous or believing you are good and right because of the work you have done yourself for the sake of God. And when you're living in a self-righteous way, you miss out on being made well. You don't miss out on being made well because God doesn't want to make you well. But you miss out because if you believe you are well and you do not need any work, then you're never going to seek him. So for an example, say that um, um, I had this conversation recently with someone. Say that you're starting to notice that your vision is a bit blurry. And you don't want to admit that you're getting older or that you might need glasses. So what's the solution? Not a big deal, I'm just not going to go to the doctor. If someone who is having trouble with their eyesight never goes to the doctor to get it corrected, then they're missing out on seeing the world as they should see the world because they're not willing to admit that they have a problem. When we live and get locked down in self-righteousness and judging others, we miss out on God making us well because God can't make us well until we admit that we're not well. God cannot find us and we cannot allow ourselves to be found until we're willing to acknowledge that we're not where we should be or that we're lost. And when we practice self-righteousness, it leads to more and more judgment. 
more and more people that are not well around us. We continue to put into that category over here. But instead of, of, of pouring out judgment on others, our responsibility is to be ambassadors of God's grace to them. So here's the good news from this parable and the two that we follow. The lost do not and cannot find themselves. When we are lost, we are found by God and God alone. We cannot find our way back home on our own. That is God's work. And that is the work of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you show us what we need to see from this parable. Bring this parable up over and over again to us this week and allow us to see that which you need us to see. If we feel like we have strayed and we have wandered from you, then find us. Pick us up. If we simply need to say this morning we're lost and we're not where we should be, then, then you will come seeking us. You're already moving you're already on your way. And Father, let us be people this week that when we see others, that we will help them to see your goodness, your grace. Help us not to get in the, the trap of judging, but help us get in the, the, the place and the habit of sharing your grace and love that comes from knowing that we are the ones that have been found. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing our last song, um, I want to make a couple of announcements. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. I appreciate you, Chris. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, couple couple quick um, announcements. First and foremost, um, I deeply, deeply believe that it is time um, to re-engage. And I believe that um, you all, if you want a, a practical way to work this sermon out into your, your life this week, it might be finding someone that you know that is is lost, that is far from God, is not where they want to be, not where God wants them to be, and invite them to church. And, even more so, um, maybe some of the folks that you haven't seen um, in a few months to a year that haven't been around since all the pandemic has started, maybe giving them a call up and nudging them to be back either here um, in the parking lot at 1015, or if they uh, feel safe and they've been vaccinated, be in at 9 a.m., or join us online. And someone gave me a beautiful picture of this this week. Well, maybe it's not a beautiful picture, but it's an accurate picture, okay? Um, they described that um, people right now, after coming out of the pandemic, um, that they need to be nudged a little bit. And they said that it's kind of like when you are, um, and I've never done this personally, some of you might have done this, but... Um, I've seen it on TV, like when um, somebody gets something stuck in the vending machine, 
and then they start tipping the vending machine, it's never like a, oh, we just tip it over. It's kind of like a rocking until you get some momentum. And I think that part of this re-engagement in the next few months is we're gonna have to give gentle nudges to people to help them um, to get re-engaged. And so um, do some of that work this week. Invite some folks um, and give them a little, little bit of nudge and a little bit of push. Um, all in love, no no judgment. Like, uh, don't call somebody up and say, I have not seen you in eight months, two days, and six hours. And um, God's disappointed with you. You really need to, no, do it in love. I miss you. Um, I really want, da-da-da, whatever it is. These next two weeks um, leading up to Easter. Um, speaking of that, on Easter Sunday, which is in two weeks, um, we will have communion. We've got the, the same things we use at Christmas Eve, and we're going to find a way to safely distribute those. So we will be having communion um, on Easter. Um, second thing I want to say um, is that kids and youth start back up, start back up on April 7th. 6.30 p.m. Um, that's on a Wednesday. Um, and that's the Wednesday after spring break and the Wednesday after um, Easter. So um, 6.30 at Winchester First right down the road. Um, the third and final thing is, and then um, we will sing. Um, everybody should have received a letter this week um, via the old-fashioned old snail mail. And... Uh, that letter was an invitation to be a part of a team that's going to um, discern our way forward. Um, the landscape, I could not tell you, but if you're interested, call me up sometime and I'll tell you how much has changed in the last year. Probably don't need to tell you that, but so much has changed and um, we want as a church to figure out where God is taking us and how we can best be his hands and feed to this community, how we can share his story that he's in the business of seeking those that are lost, picking them up and carrying them home. We want to be in that business, but we need to do some work together and discern how. If you're at all interested in that, um, give, me a give me a holler, give me a text, do something, um, and we will have a conversation. But um, you should have received a letter, um, if you didn't, I'm going to send out an email this week. Um, but but cons prayerfully consider that um, because there is a lot of work to do ahead of us. And the, above all things, we want to stay in step with God on whatever is next. All right? That is all I have. So if uh, we want to sing this last song, let's do that. Oh, so good. 